on this Sunday of celebrating the Transfiguration, which is always the Sunday before Lent in the liturgical calendar. The Gospel lesson this morning is the story of the Transfiguration in the Gospel of Matthew, the 17th chapter. Matthew 17 and verse 1. Hear the word of God. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While Peter was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. I am guessing that most preachers, most Presbyterians, don't know what to do with the transfiguration. Frankly, the story doesn't play very easily. And it always raises more questions than it provides answers. And darn it if it doesn't come up year after year after year (laughs) on this Sunday. Why does Peter want to preserve the moment? How did Peter, James, and John recognize Moses and Elijah? What did Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talk about? If the three disciples were going to be frightened, wouldn't that have happened right away with a dazzling appearance? And Moses and Elijah being there? Why did Jesus tell them to keep it all a secret? Some have likely heard all the sermons they care to about the transfiguration. I've preached all the sermons I want to on the Transfiguration. (laughs) The unique relationship of the three disciples, of Jesus and the three disciples, Peter's impulsiveness to always blurt out, Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, God speaking the same words about the beloved son at his baptism 
to anoint him for ministry, God saying it again on the Mount of Transfiguration to anoint him for his suffering and death. The life of faith has some mountaintop experiences. But more often, more likely, discipleship is lived out somewhere down the mountain, somewhere between the mountaintops. Everybody listens to all those sermons about the transfiguration. Everybody nods. And everybody turns ahead like a dog listening to a strange noise. And everybody sort of collectively sighs and says, so what's a transfiguration? Somewhere in a church Somewhere in a church today, at some place, not this church, but some church, somewhere in the kingdom of God, Mr. Reynolds is preparing to teach the third grade church school class. By this time of the year, Mr. Reynolds and the small team of heroes who join him week in and week out have become pretty comfortable with one another, with the lesson planning process, and with the 12 kids on the church school roll. A more seasoned church school teacher might have already come to the same conclusions as preachers and sermon listeners when it comes to the story of the transfiguration. Sort of over trying to preach and teach and figure it all out. But with Easter and Lent coming early this year, it's still February. Attendance has been good. Spring activities and busyness have yet to bloom for families. So Mr. Reynolds went about his routine, his preparation, rather comfortably. When Mr. Reynolds looked over his curriculum on Saturday, there was no extravagant craft project. That was both a blessing and a curse. The lesson was built around the story from the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus appeared on the mountaintop with Moses and Elijah. The curriculum suggested reading the story from the children's Bible and then retelling it in one's own words. And there were a few questions to ask and a picture that could be photocopied for the kids to color the dwellings that Peter wanted to build. A reference was given for the teacher to refer back to the baptism of Jesus that was covered in class just a few weeks ago, God speaking the same words then. So Mr. Reynolds concluded that it was a pretty straightforward class based on a Bible story, the story of the transfiguration. This particular Sunday, on a February morning somewhere, someplace, someplace far from any mountaintop, at least any biblical mountaintop. Seven children were there, which was a pretty good turnout. The teaching team included Mr. Reynolds, Miss Kara, 
and Sherry, the 10th grader, who helps every week. About halfway through the class, things started to take a turn. After the opening routine, which they go through each week, the class gathers at the story circle. Mr. Reynolds grunts a little and hopes no one hears as he sits down on the floor. And he thinks things are going pretty well. The kids are listening as he read the story and when he talked through it again. They answer right back when he asked the questions out of the curriculum book, but to be fair, he did think to himself they were sort of stupid questions for third graders. Who was on the mountain? What color was Jesus' clothes? What did God say? Mr. Reynolds dutifully reminds the kids of the baptism of Jesus and the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And Mr. Reynolds prepares to get up from the floor. He's on one knee, getting ready to invite the class to move to the coloring table when he sums everything up by saying, well, this is the story of the transfiguration. Mr. Reynolds, William raises a hand. What's a transfiguration? My brother has all kinds of transfigurations, Tisha said. They turn from cars into really big bad guys. Jonathan says that he thinks he saw a transfiguration on Disney Plus, or it might be from Harry Potter. Jason shares that he hears his father talk about transfiguration when he's trying to fix their computer. Jamar then reminds everyone that they are in church school, so it must have something to do with Jesus. In the twinkling of the eye, as the Bible says, Mr. Reynolds was about to lose any hope of a teaching moment altogether. He makes a feeble effort at a save. Yes, it is all about Jesus. Jesus on the mountaintop with Moses and Elijah. But what's a transfiguration? Someone ask again. Mr. Reynolds is now in deep trouble (laughs) and starting to fumble for words while starting to sweat. He was staring church school defeat, church school teacher defeat, right in the face. And even worse, he pretty much knew that he didn't have an answer. He was pondering, telling them to go find one of the pastors after class. But the truth is, they wouldn't have any better answer than him. He tosses a glance towards Sherry and Miss Kara. Despair had already crept into his eyes, and without words, he was begging for help. So Sherry gives it a try. Don't you think it has to do with those shiny clothes? Friends of Jesus looked up and saw the glow all around. He was glistening. He was transfigured. The kids seemed to accept that. For a few seconds. So like Rihanna at the Super Bowl. 
She had a glow, Kirsten blurts out. William, who was the first to ask the question, ignored the Super Bowl comment altogether. So when we change clothes, throw the dirty ones in the basket and put on clean ones, that's a transfiguration. This is a transfiguration, someone else shouted, pointing to their church clothes, and everyone laughed. So why don't we have them anymore? Tisha asks. Have what? Sherry asks for clarification, thinking the class was still salvageable. Have transfigurations. If they are so important, Jesus and his clothes and all, why don't we get to see it today? And all three teachers share a look, knowing they are now officially in way over their heads. And with the last ounce of wisdom he had available, Mr. Reynolds suggests that everyone move back to the tables so we can all do some coloring and think more about these good and important questions. <laughs> the kids start to color. And of course, the kids are fine not sensing any of the panic coming from the teachers, nor the need for answers that so often plagues grown-ups. Maybe it has to do with God speaking, Jamar surmises. He's clearly been thinking while he was coloring. Kids seem to think a lot when they color. Whenever God speaks, it's a transfiguration he said. Nicole hasn't said anything all morning, but now she tosses in a few cents. When God tells us about Jesus, do you think that's it? Maybe she was remembering the story of the baptism and the voice that came from heaven there, too. Mr. Reynolds is listening, but now is actually incapable of saying a word. No one looked up from their coloring, including Mr. Reynolds and Sherry. But the class seemed to think Nicole was on to something. Transfiguration, the voice of God telling us about Jesus. And Tish came back to her question. Tisha came back to the question and wanted to know why there were not any mountaintops and meetings with Jesus and voices from heaven anymore. Of course, she didn't say it quite that way. She said, so why can't we have one? That was her question. You don't need one, Jonathan blurted out in a rather loud voice as if a light bulb just had went on. And why don't I, Tisha comes right back expecting a sassy comment from Jonathan. We don't need a transfiguration because we have Mr. Reynolds and Miss Kara and Sherry. I'm not sure I understand, Miss Kara, who hadn't said a word all morning, said in a whisper. God doesn't have to tell us about Jesus because we have you. That's why we don't have them anymore. Jonathan said at this time, referring to transfigurations with a sense of assurance. 
that was quite startling. Sometime later today, maybe tomorrow or next week, Mr. Reynolds will grasp the weight of the morning and realize it is never just an average, ordinary Sunday morning when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus and telling about the love of God. Maybe he will realize as well that teaching church school has little to do with skill or experience or having the time or having your own children. He may realize that it has little to do with any of that and everything to do with being part of the church and living out your own baptism in the life of faith. Because the church exists somewhere between the mountaintops of faith. We don't always understand. We don't always have all the answers. We don't always have the right words to say. Sometimes we get lost in trying to unlock the symbolism and the foreshadowing and the literary characteristics and the theology and the depth of the living word of God. But throughout the incredibly ordinary days of our life together, when mountaintops are rare, we walk together along the way. We take turns telling stories about Jesus because some days you have to tell one about him and other days it's better for your soul just to listen. We, build, we hold on to one another along this way and we strive by God's grace to live every day like Jesus taught us like Jesus showed us. In word and in deed, we try to point in the direction of the beloved Son so that we can tell one another, we can tell the world, and we can tell our children about the Son of God. Thanks be to God.